Albert, what's what's uh, what's hot in WWE these days for you? Well, you know, we can't deny the uh, the tear that Rusev has been on. <laughs> I mean, he's really uh, been beating a lot of people. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, see, like a lot I, of matches. I was gonna I was gonna be a tear denier, but I I realized that there's no point in in uh, uh, going along with that Rusev. Oh, love it, love it, uh, and. Due to uh, Rusev's uh, manager, uh, Lana, and her uh, connection to the showbiz world, I believe uh, some showbiz superstars, including Anna Kendrick, were in attendance at SummerSlam, which is something that you might not have expected. Yeah, who do you think was more out of place, Brad Maddox at (laughs) PWG or Anna Kendrick at SummerSlam? (laughs) It seems like they both had a great time. At their respective shows. Like, normally the biggest celebs they can pull for that are, like, uh, your Marg Heldenberger types. <laughs> yeah. Anna Kendrick, legitimate movie star-ess. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm a legitimate current movie star, yeah. Was David Arquette shown on camera? He was, did, they, did they know that he was for, a former WCW champion? That, that would be a great subtle burial of, of WCW that they could do. I mean, or they could release like a uh, like a multi-part documentary series that was structured only to tell the story of how WCW uh, ultimately failed his competition against WWE. family member or someone from high school who googled my name what do you want me to say uh this is the justin michael shapir show pleased and honored and delighted to finally bring back to the premises uh matt forestine who's been on assignment with other projects matt what's it been like it's been a real ding dong hoo-ha knock him down drag him out kind of situation so i'm really glad to be back home uh real quick question yeah. Has this situation ever occurred where somebody from high school has Googled your name and found your podcast and been like, bro, you're podcasting about wrestling? Bro? If they had, there wouldn't bro. be any more. <laughs> bro? Really? Is it, is it really that much of a sore spot for you? It's not a sore spot. It's a weird spot, though. It's a spot you'd need to get checked by the dermatologist just to be sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, it's a treasure to have you back. I wanted to reunite... A best friends club from a year ago. You're merely the co-host, but um, well, not merely. That's you know, a, I think an undervalued job in this society, like nurses. But 
the real guest of honor and reason for the season is uh, returning from last year's SummerSlam coverage, the Eisner Award-winning Albert Ching of CBR.com. Thank you so much for joining us, Albert. How are you? I'm good. It's actually CBR.com, I think, is like held by some like a uh, Malaysian company. Um, it's uh, comicbookresources.com. And speaking of comic books, Justin, would you say that it's fair, it's fair to uh, give you the title of the world's second most famous JMS? Because I think number one would go to Babylon yes. 5 creator J. Michael Straczynski. But are you number two? Are you the number two JMS? It would require more research. I mean, we don't know too many people's middle names on a first middle name basis, but he's definitely the initials that have most confused me when I've seen them used in passing to refer to someone. And I have to stop myself and be like, oh, that's that guy, not myself, (laughs) who's responsible for all this stuff. Yeah, you're like, I didn't know I wrote Spider-Man for several years. Well, I'm just curious, you know, you talk about not knowing many people's middle names. So does that mean that there's a lot of people with the JS initials that you suspect might have a middle name starting with M, so you don't want to definitively say if you were more famous than them or not? That makes sense. Gene Smart has not done much (laughs) recently. Uh, 24 was was within the last decade. Garden State, that was 04. Granted, granted. She's Gene Elizabeth Smart based on cursory research, so (laughs) I guess that's we dodged that one. If you remember last year... Uh, we addressed Albert's Bonafides as a true Mr. SummerSlam, who is a Los Angeles-based individual who attends most Los Angeles-based SummerSlams. Has it been all of them in the L.A. era, Albert? There was one missing? I, I, missed, I missed 2012. Yeah. That's okay. But I also went to SummerSlam in 2003 in Phoenix, Arizona, so I feel like that makes up for it. Yeah, that balances it out. One of the most memorably bad booking decisions of that era. The spear into the sledgehammer? Yeah, exactly. Just the general... Or coach turning heel. No, well, no. The general idea that we're going to give the perfect situation for Goldberg to win the title and then just not do it really for no good reason. Oh, I thought it was La Resistance retaining against the Dudley boys. By unfair means, too. (laughs) Killing the territory. So... I said the the finish of this SummerSlam main event was the revenge for Nexus, who were done so unfairly by John Cena. Maybe it was actually the, the karmic comeuppance for the uh, Goldberg finish from nine years ago. And instead, got to the minute where uh, Cena could have accidentally hit Brock Lesnar with a chain and beat him again, and they stopped. <laughs> they did the right thing and restored balance to... Uh, how everything needed to be. Also, Lesnar Lesnar tapped out on that show in 2003. He tapped out. He tapped out to one of his fiercest rivals, though. It, it is the end of an era. It is. Did you, did you go point. into the show with that feeling, and have you reflected on that? Yeah. You know, I actually didn't realize it was the, the last one in L.A. until afterwards. I think there was, a, there was something during the pay-per-view broadcast that was noting that next year it was going to be, I believe, in the uh, tri-state area. But that was not something that was announced uh, to, the, uh, to the house, at least not while I was paying attention. I guess that would be an awkward <laughs> announcement to live crowd. <laughs> yes. Enjoy it while it lasts. You've failed us. I remember I was, uh, I was getting some lunch beforehand at the same restaurant uh, 
of the extended Bella family. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna we're gonna mind that. Don't worry. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to give a little tantalizing tease. Oh well, wow, I, I did not even know about that, man. <laughs> right? Well, that's you know, I was saving it for the podcast. Awesome. I worked the boys on that one. No, it's in eighteen point font on my show notes. So <laughs> don't worry. And uh, someone told me that, and that they said I I heard a rumor that it's not going to be back in LA next year, and I was like, eh, I don't know, maybe. And then the devastating truth surfaced. Uh, L.A. is such a town of rumor. Exactly. <laughs> the Hollywood Reporter, you never yeah. know what to believe. Nicky Finky. Olja. <laughs> Directors pulling out and such, yeah. people involved in projects. That must, Now, your job in comic book resources, mm. you do not have the CBR domain, is it just 90% casting of comic book movies now? There is a lot of that, you know, movies and television shows. You know, we're, we're facing a record number of comic book-based programming on our uh, fall network schedules this year. Gotham. Gotham is one of them. Yeah, if you're, I mean, someone's going to do a one-week stint on, um, I almost said Archer, but that's something else. Who is the man with the bow and arrow who has his own show now? Uh, arrow, yes. Sure. So someone comes in for one week on Arrow, and then you get so many page views probably just out of speculating, like, they, they casted a red-haired guy. Is he the famous red-haired villain of Arrow? <laughs> and a Drew, yeah. We all know who I'm thinking of, yep. and it is a real person. So. Isn't the famous red-haired villain of Arrow a Woody Allen movie? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's, that, no, that's the Purple Rose of Cairo. Sorry. Now, Arcade has red hair, right? The villain Arcade? He certainly does. And uh, Bowtie. They don't have the rights to him, I'm sure. That would be more complicated. Right. Than that the, would involve uh... like a Marvel-DC exchange. <laughs> now, that would be a scoop for comicbookresources.com. That would if... have to be aided by uh, the character Access, who was introduced in the DC versus Marvel <laughs> mid-90s uh, <laughs> miniseries. And his only superpower is that he can travel between the DC and Marvel universes. He can't do anything when he gets there, though? He can just go? I think he pretty much just goes in between. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, listeners. He, and he's co-owned by both companies, so he hasn't been, um, hasn't been around in years since the, uh, the relations between the two haven't been as, um, as uh, close as, as in the past. I haven't done as many crossovers. We uh, warned Matt that he might not have a lot to contribute, and I don't think he knew it would be even this bad. (laughs) I'm sorry. But uh, to tie it back into Albert's Mr. SummerSlam streak, you were at the SummerSlam last year, and then this year you went in the complete opposite direction by skipping the show to (laughs) attend a comedy festival. Yeah, probably SummerSlam was better. Uh, uh, No, the comedy festival... Uh, oddball comedy festival. It was just too much Jeff Ross. Nothing against the man personally, but it's not my thing. The queen of mean, but a man. That's that's what he calls himself. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Ross, uh, Matt's first uh, Los Angeles celebrity sighting. That's right. We really went, so this this ties in. In two thousand and nine, Albert and I went to see the wrestler at the ArcLight in L.A. And Jeff Ross was there with his date. I don't know if he was actually seeing the same movie as us, but he sure was holding popcorn. You think he went just for the popcorn like some people (laughs) fly a plane for the peanuts? (laughs) He was in the lobby and there were other movies showing. Oh, I see. see. You can't. It wasn't uh, like a one theater like, you know, yeah, there's there's like, I think maybe 12 screens at the Arclight. It's what I like to call a multiplex. Yeah. 
which which also which also ties into wrestling because Brock Lesnar gave John Cena multiple <laughs> plex suplexes. So there we go. I'm just surprised that there was an oddball festival and Matt wasn't the headliner. <laughs> in the beginning of our show, I've tried to mirror the lack of timeliness in getting to the content that we have had in waiting. <laughs> to the... have the show at all? Yes, exactly. So it's a, it's a meta-narrative. It's a story within a story. It's a novel with a key. Uh, I will tease, though, that by virtue of waiting these three weeks, Albert... The super fan that he is also attended, uh, if I'm reading this, the movie Battle Los Angeles, or is that something else? No, that's correct. It was like a, a repertory screening. Um, <laughs> we had uh, we had the whole cast in, uh, in uh, Michael Pena was there. <laughs> and uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Aaron Eckhart. You know, all, they're all such household names stemming from the success of BLA. Yeah. You know, I actually uh, attended a, a press junket for that movie. So that's how I remember that Michael Pena was in it. Because I, yeah, I, I, I talked to him in person. Um, uh, yeah. Battle Battle of Los Angeles, promoted by, I'm told, a pro wrestling gorilla. Now, who taught that gorilla <laughs> to wrestle? I don't know. These are probably wait, wait, wait. Who taught a super that smart uh, gorilla from the movie Congo. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I was gonna say who taught that gorilla to promote. <laughs> That's well, just a basic uh, exchange of bananas for hand signals <laughs> thing. That's already established, okay. but the actual science of work and working left and. And, Psychology. That's such and, such a more of a step. And feeling out the crowd. It's like it's like giving the crowd an orgasm. <laughs> that's right. So SummerSlam. No one debates that it happened three weeks ago. <laughs> Definitely happened. I can vouch for that completely. By waiting this long, I think it's also benefited us that we've also moved all the way past the good, happy, satisfied, excited feeling people had coming out of SummerSlam and back to uh, hating all of our lives again. Mm-hmm. But in a vacuum, and now I'm no Mr. SummerSlam like an Albert Ching or even like a Matt last year, but I thought it was good. What? How did you feel being there in person, Albert, keeping in mind you've been to all the SummerSlam? I thought it was good as well. A very solid top-to-bottom show. And yeah, uh, I would say, you know, if we're going to compare SummerSlams, uh, last year had, uh, had two really good matches with uh, CM Punk, I don't know what happened to him, versus Brock Lesnar and D. Bryan versus John Cena. I don't know if there was any one match uh, that was as good as those two. Certainly the main event was very memorable, but this was just a, yeah, it was a very solid uh, show all around. I agree with you. I was going to ask Matt to help me contextualize this until I found out 20 minutes before we started that he only watched two matches from SummerSlam. So maybe he's not Matt as is useful. the but he's the keeper of the star ratings. He is the <laughs> the wrestling professor. He 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 took on Mike Tenay for that title and uh did I win? You did. Oh good. Matt, which two matches did you watch? I I imagine I know you watched Brock Lesnar versus John Cena because you told me what was the second one, and was it Paige versus AJ Lee? Yes, and yes, but it wasn't the one from SummerSlam. It was the <laughs> one from Raw, and I thought it was SummerSlam. Well, which one from Raw? Their original encounter where, where Paige made a surprise debut and shocked the world, or their uh, subsequent uh, encounter where the tables were turned in dramatic fashion? 
the one from Night After WrestleMania. So I thought it was weird that it was like, hey, why is Paige saying that she's new? Because she's mm-hmm. been around all these months. That had to be hard for you. It was no, it was Ambrose Rollins. I'm almost confident. Yes, it was. A- <laughs> I'm almost confident about that. <laughs> that's that's my permanent state. At least as a best case scenario, I'm almost confident. Um, no, yeah, it was. Uh, yes, it was a uh, Seth Rollins versus Dean Ambrose in their anti lumberjack match. It was quite enjoyable. Uh, not as good as the match on Raw the night after. And due to the match on Raw the night after being so much better, I feel like there's not a ton to say about it. Uh, but that main event, that was something. I'm just listening to Matt's fan. It is a soothing white noise. You don't have to be self-conscious about well, it. Well, the audience did not even know that I was self-conscious about it. And you said that you had a fan, so I would not be on the hook. But now, of course, you announce it to everyone. Thank you. I'm pretty sure you guys both have plenty of fans. Uh, uh, I would not be surprised if there were two fans left after <laughs> the start we've had. Uh, all right, so... Last year, I'll echo completely what Albert said. Two modern-day classics, and aside from Christian and the late lamented Alberto Del Rio, a lot of rushed, nothing matches. And Matt, maybe it's just me, but for me, what I like in a SummerSlam is not really a card configuration you can get with a wrestling mania where so many of the main events have to get so much time. Whereas in a SummerSlam, less pressure to be the granddaddy of them all, but still the the semi-main show of the year, you can sort of utilize the whole roster and just have a nice top-to-bottom show with... You're not going to get too many classics up and down the show, but I like a SummerSlam 98, a SummerSlam 02, where all the important people top-to-bottom generally get to do something good. Yeah, I mean... I agree with that. I, I I I do always prefer shows where there's like that one match that you really want to watch a few times because it was that that damn good. <laughs> um, and um, I just I just want to say that um, you were talking about the granddaddy of them all. And um, did you know that Roland Hussey Macy, his nickname is the granddaddy of them all? Anyway, moving on. <laughs> did he invent the American mall system or no? He invented Macy's, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's tantamount, too, as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, sorry. Um, so, so like, it, it, it is important to me to have, like, the great match. So I, I do like a show like last year's where there's, like, an hour plus of the show taken up by excellence. Mm-hmm. Um, but when there's just, a, like, a show that you're watching live and it's just, like, one hot match after another and it doesn't doesn't slow down and it's, like, briskly paced and... You know, the matches may not be super epic and long, but they're all very entertaining with good crowd heat. Can't beat that. Can't beat it. And um, that's – and, you know, but the thing is a show like that, there's less rewatch value. Like you're generally not going to go back and watch a good match, like, you know, a random good match. And you're not really going to go back and watch an entire show the way you would a great match. So I think that's, that, though, that's really beneficial for when you're watching the show live. But after the fact, I think you'd rather have the really great matches. I don't know. What do you think about that? That's a very nice point. Like You watch the SummerSlam 2002 and Edge and Eddie Guerrero have just a good match in the uh, 10 minutes or so they were giving. And at that moment, you're like, everything is good. Everything continues to be good. Right. But you're also 
when you rewatch SummerSlam 2002, the match most people rewatch is the Shawn Michaels Triple H one because that's like the great epic match. You're you're generally not going to be going back and watching like like uh, the Un-Americans against Goldust and Booker T mm-hmm. because it, it it was good, but it's just not not the kind of match people will go out of their way to rewatch unless you unless you just want to rewatch like a lot of stuff or you're doing like one of those 2000 comp tape projects that people on message boards like to do where they rank things. Now, is that mm. off the top of your head that the Un-Americans and Booker T and Goldust were at SummerSlam 2002? Now, you know me, Albert, and you know me well, and you will believe me when I say yes, it was. I do believe you. Yes. I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm still impressed. This uh, 14 was kind of a parallel show to SummerSlam 2002 with Brock's ascension and domination of uh, the standard bearer in the main event. But for that analogy to work, I think that means that the equivalent to Sean and Hunter would have to be Bree versus Stephanie, which... Pretty close. They, similar emotional resonance yeah. there. They tapped into different things in, in uh, unique ways. Well, let's talk about that main event because it was a very Please. memorable thing to watch live. I will say that it was it was such a brutal uh, encounter that it actually had sort of a reverse psychology effect on me where I was like somehow, even though I know, you know, I, I never thought this would be the outcome. I was like somehow I, I guess John Cena is probably going to actually win because he's being dominated so much. It doesn't really even make, you know, wrestling sense. For a uh, you know, I don't want to use industry jargon, but for a, a baby face to be dominated <laughs> to this degree in the main event of a major pay per view, uh, uh, like you know, my rational part of my brain uh, was shut out for a bit. I was like, oh, I guess he's somehow going to win, and then he did it, and it was very memorable. To the casual listeners of uh, the Steve Austin show, by baby face, he's referring to your good guy, your hero, your white hat, if you will. You know, the guy who's selling from underneath and you anticipate the big comeback coming. And yeah, no comeback yeah. was coming. There were for some John slight Steve. comebacks, but they were they were quickly stymied by Brock Lesnar's unrelenting uh, physical dominance. Yeah, John Cena is the kind of guy that like, you know, with his ethos and like his uh, and like the way he, he takes on uh challenges he kind of is like the working man you know so it's like so it's like i think that's why he's he's a real baby face you know what i mean you know i was like well here are three things that i'm going to look forward to john cena displaying in this match hustle <laughs> loyalty respect after the after the way brock lesnar has conducted himself but did yes. he did did he demonstrate a lot of loyalty during the match uh, loyalty to the fans and to never give up, which I believe that's, is another phrase on his shirt. Something, <laughs> and he rose above the hate that Lesnar was demonstrating in spades for him. And um, it was all there. It was a real referendum of the John Cena character. But so I both it. of you guys, you know, obviously Matt, you being uh, internationally recognized as the wrestling professor, and Justin as sort of the uh, you know kind of like the, the John Stewart of wrestling, kind of like a satirist taking like a, a sort of side-eyed view of it while also, uh, you know, getting some laughs while making salient points. Uh, how Justin Shapiro eviscerates the Batista <laughs> push to WrestleMania. I, how, believe, uh, I believe How rare of that... a thing was that main event to you guys? Like how, how unique of a situation was that? The, the only thing close that I could think of in U.S. wrestling history, like modern times, is uh, Sting Invader from the Great American Bash 92. And this was, I think, way more one-sided than that. Um, I think that was probably a better match. But this was, like, just so unique. And and I think the crowd reacted so perfectly to it. And Lesnar is such a, is such a figure. Like, 
I can't I can't even think of a guy in wrestling history that's that's like him. He's he's it's kind of like I don't even know if he's human. Like what's it, what must it be like to be Brock Lesnar? It's probably not. I don't know. Is it what is it good? I don't know. What do you think? I don't cuz I can't empathize to what it must be like for your blood pressure to be that high. Yeah. <laughs> Just all the time. I thought that match was his greatest ever performance in being Brock Lesnar. Uh when Matt and I were talking in uh anticipation of the show, I think we were both Really enjoying the interviews and the build-up and the serious sports serious commercials for it. I think we call it a, a PSB, a pure yeah. sports show. <laughs> the, the PSB, yes, exactly. Not to be confused with the Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, that's not what that stands for? <laughs> Similar to the JMS conflict, it's easy to get mixed up sometimes. Um, so... We thought, you know, it's going to get a lot of time, and the the agents are going to really put on their Asianing caps or producers, if you Did will. You say Asianing caps. They're going to make the match. They're going to make the, the match particularly Asian in style. Yeah, well, that's I think. Um, there's all these adaptations of The Office for every country, and then so it goes with the the Winter Soldier movie. Everyone had a different uh, ethnicity, Captain America, plugged in for their nation to rally behind. Mm-hmm. Asian and Cap was a, a good dude. A lot of controversy about uh, with the female Thor and the Asian and Cap <laughs> these days. Some of the more stick-in-the-mud fans aren't having it, from what I've heard. With uh, Iron Fist taking on the shield. I think you've completely lost me. Wait, is Iron Fist Asian? Iron Fist is a, a white dude. Oh, God. He's blonde, blue-eyed. Doesn't he practice martial arts? No, but wasn't he absolutely that... does, yes. Okay, was... well, that's extra bad. Chang <laughs> Chi is Asian. He's the master of Kung Fu. Yeah, but wasn't there, oh. wasn't there that whole controversy uh, recently where, um, you know, like, Donald Glover wanted to be the Asian version of that character, and, and right. everyone was like, he's not Asian. Correct. Mm-hmm. I thought, and then he got him revenge in a cartoon. Yeah, I thought I got that right. Now, Sunfireization. No one's going to tell me otherwise, right? Absolutely, Japanese specifically. Yeah. Iron Fist. It was reported by Albert in 2001. Was into fisting criminals, that is, in their vaginas, and that's a direct quote. <laughs> uh, I am so confused. <laughs> It's that Asianing Captain Brock Lesnar, or something about that. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, yeah, a real death of Captain America scene for for poor John Cena. Oh yeah, I remember. So I, yeah, Matt and I were uh, we were like, it's gonna be a great match, right? Because they'll go all out at SummerSlam. John Cena, uh, in spite of all physical obstacles, both in terms of athleticism and and his own well being, has great matches and just wills himself to be clobbered. And it really wasn't a classic main event match like that, but when Matt came back from the oddball and asked me how it was, the word I used to describe the match was incredible, in that it was something I'd never seen before and really couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was a SummerSlam you thought you'd never see. (laughs) That is what Albert told me. And uh, I thought Justin, Justin, Justin saying the match was incredible... It actually really helped my enjoyment of that match because I, when you know you call a match incredible, you're expecting something different from that. Not that it wasn't incredible, but it's like it it made me it it kept the element of surprise intact for me when I watched the match, which is all I ever wanted. It's all I ever needed. It's all I ever dreamed about. So, 
So what do we think about the rematch that we're heading into at Night of Champions? Every championship on the line, I believe, at that show. Is it too soon for a rematch? I mean, he does have a rematch clause that he has every right to invoke. Let's not forget that. You know what I think that wrestlers should have? Like when they get when they lose a title, they should get in their in their next match. They should get to wear rematch claws where they can, <laughs> where they get to, to claw at the wrestler because you know it's just like just like as an extra bonus. You know what? The champion can wear the rematch claws too because it's still a rematch. So it's like a rematch claw match. They're both clawed. They're both be clawed. You could tie that into the premise of the Santa Claus uh, movie with Tim Allen too, right? Where people have to keep getting reincarnated into these matches. Mm-hmm. I've not seen it, but that's my <laughs> loose that understanding of the franchise. <laughs> Actual reincarnation? As I understand the Santa Claus <laughs> franchise, TV funny man Tim Allen was in all likelihood a father who was distracted by work and did not spend as much time with his kids as he needed to be, that's 100% presumption on my part. What is not is I am have it on good authority that he accidentally murders St. Yeah. Nicholas, <laughs> a.k.a. Santa Claus, when he was delivering presents. It may have been a gremlin's chimney situation. He may have accidentally knocked him off the roof. I forget. And then, according to the legal Santa Claus with an E, it's like, whoever kills me must take on the sleigh and become Santa Claus. And Tim Allen at first is like, that's probably not true. I'll just go to bed. And then as uh, he, I think his, he starts to get fat oh, yeah. and he gets a big white beard and like, like, my God, I'm turning into Santa Claus, which is a real David Lynchian body <laughs> horror. Yeah, Cronenberg. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine if you had a life, and then all of a sudden, through mishap and accident, you had to become the physical embodiment of Santa Claus, who <laughs> it's an entire year that's accounted for, and then one especially strenuous day of work. Not since, not since Franz Kafka himself. <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, just, uh, Justin. Yeah, just there Joe. have been many, many tangents on shows involving you and us. I think that might be the most surprising. The Santa Claus clause. Yeah, uh, I feel like the any discussion of a three-week old wrestling pay-per-view that people are already once again in the rearview mirror angry about <laughs> is uh, just just a, an excuse to. To go down those alleys. I think that's fair. Now I know Matt, you're greatly in fear of your surroundings constantly. If Brian <laughs> had held the title, <laughs> accurate. Yeah, fair. If Brian had held on to the title, he would have um, overcome many authoritarian obstacles on the uh, pay-per-views in between Mania and SummerSlam. Many battles with the Demon Kane, I'm sure. And then finally gets to SummerSlam, and unfortunately, it was uh, just too much for the, the poor guy. Do you think they would have booked the same layout of the match? Uh, I think no. I think the dynamic would be so different, because, and I think they would they would feel more of a need to protect Daniel Bryan than they did with John Cena, because there really is no need to protect John Cena. You know, John Cena is John Cena forever, uh, which is a, a beautiful. Just should be a yeah. I was gonna say too. a beautiful sentiment. Um, <laughs> then now forever. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, th- I think 
despite all the ups and downs with Daniel Bryan, they would want to protect him a little bit. And I think they would have just had a match that Brock Lesnar dominated, but it would not have been like a squash match. That is my gut feeling. What do you think? I share that gut feeling. I know people think they're ever out to get him, but I think it's that old adage, like you say, like if you squash someone like garbage, then you didn't beat anybody. And if he just treated Daniel with two spurts of offense, then he didn't beat any kind of champion. Whereas, like you say, with Cena, he did that to John Cena in all his John Cena-ness. That's a big statement. Whereas with Brian, he gets more over if he sold that there was a chance that Brian might win and had a couple furious comebacks in it. A lot like the punk match, I would think. Yeah, that's what my grandmother, my grandfather always said to me growing up. If you squash someone like garbage, it's like you didn't beat anybody. It is quite an old a- adjective. The popular character you do uh, that, on our show, driver. the bus driver from New York, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is that your grandfather? No, that was a different voice, Justin. Oh, right. This is a more old-time smoke-filled arenas guy, yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. That was like, the bus driver's like the fucking, yeah. And my grandfather's like, uh, if you squash someone like garbage. <laughs> you see, Give me a kid. Yeah, you see the difference? Absolutely, I okay. do. Maybe we'll have to do the Matt Forstein podcast pilot. I, I, think, I think that's... That's got to happen. <laughs> I, I volunteer to be the uh, the Matt Gorley of those podcasts. Oh, excellent. Guys, guys yeah, just guys, find some guys, other guys, people. Guys, yeah, yeah, guys, yeah. Guys, guys. I'm going to do it. I'd never All right. Yeah, yeah there we go. What is, what, what is the bus driver's name? Got to give him a name. That's your choice. That is, yeah, I can only Probably Sal, artists. but, you know, it's up to you. <laughs> Tommy Del Salvio. Mm. I, that's, I got it. That's it. That's it. It's done. Tommy Del Salvio, uh, longtime New York fan. Yeah. He was booing Sean at Survivor Series '96. He was booing the Samoans in the '70s. It's called "Walking Through the Garden" with Tommy Del Salvio. <laughs> Walking through the garden. <laughs> hey, well, you know, maybe my Pittsburgh guy wants to join you. Okay. Super big time fan of Bruno. That's Civic Arena, guys. Anyone listening to this is witnessing the birth of something magical. Hey, Tommy DeSalvo, it's me, some guy from Pittsburgh. I got a name too eventually. Well, you know, I don't give a fuck about any place but New York, but uh, much respect to Pittsburgh, Bruno. (laughs) And five more minutes. Wow. I don't say this in the middle of shows that often, but we're incredibly talented. (laughs) Well, that was a teaser. Speaking of, speaking of things that are incredible, Brock Lesnar, John Cena at SummerSlam, and this show. <laughs> speaking of booing uh, Samoans, something yeah. that didn't happen during the Roman Reigns versus Randy Orton match, <laughs> as he was quite popular in the building, despite, I think, both of, uh, of you guys not being the biggest Roman Reigns fans, especially <laughs> Justin Go. I thought it was a bold move to make that the, uh, the cool-down match. The semi-main is how I look at it. I look at it as the uh, as the uh, penultimate match of the show. I thought Steph Bree brought you up, and then another Chinlock Randy on another Chinlock recipient Roman <laughs> to give you some time to catch your breath. We, and we need right a back. big babyface victory between the two crushing defeats. That's very, very true. Oh, wait, wait. So, wait, Albert, 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 because you, you yeah. put it all on us. What are your yeah. thoughts on one Roman Reigns and his potential? 
I uh, I don't have beef. Um, uh huh. That's not a ringing endorsement. No, I I mean I think he's he's pretty cool. I mean I guess I'm not like he doesn't have like that same idea of like you know oh you want to root for him because it seems like he's almost always you know been predestined to uh, be a yeah. big star. So like a lot of a lot of I think the wrestlers that all of us like it comes from sort of like an underdog thing. You know someone like Daniel Bryan where we don't really expect them. Or we think it. We think that you know the odds are maybe stacked against them of being a big mm-hmm. star versus someone like Roman Reigns. But uh, I don't have uh, I don't have any any beef with him. I think he he's done good work. I think uh, yeah, I think he has has some real upside, as we say. He's definitely he's a legitimate hot. I'll say that. <laughs> are you taking over the Ross report? <laughs> because that... <laughs> yep, fourteen years later. Matt uh, interned under, you got your PhD under Professor Tenet. Uh-huh. Maybe your good old ABC <laughs> at last, Film the Void. I think that I think that, that makes sense. I think that's telling us who's ready to take the next step and needs to elevate their game. <laughs> Boy, those, those were not very good looking back. <laughs> I suppose not. The real lifeline to the backstage dealings. <laughs> Which now we receive from E's Total Divas, but we'll get into that in, in in a second. But how are the like how are the audiences taking to him? Like, do you see this as being a situation where like Dean Ambrose will be chanted for while while he's being pushed, or even even also possible that if Daniel Bryan has any chance of coming back, people are going to be chanting for him to be in that spot instead of like, you know will Roman Reigns be rebelled against? I guess is the question because I feel like the the people that. I guess someone like Justin or myself aren't into the crowds, the live shows, especially during WrestleMania season, are they also don't want to see them in those prime positions. And that kind of fucks up the company's shit, you know? So I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Did you just slip into character? <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, that's that's almost my whole thing exactly, is is like I said, nothing against the man, but We've been told not just that he's going to become a world champion, not just that they want to uh, elevate him to main event status in the immediate future, but that he's like Trish Stratus' theme song went, got the keys to the city, and that's how he gets down. Um, like <laughs> taking the torch from John Cena for another decade and a half, two decades of the Roman Reigns era. And. And I think that's sort of weird because of how early that talk sort of surfaced online, you know, among among the dirt sheets. Like, even with John Cena himself, I mean, like when he was, let's say, in a fiery babyface tag team with Billy Kidman, <laughs> was the, the, you know, I wasn't following, uh, you know, the insider news at that time as much as probably you two. Like, was, you know, was it talk then that, you know, that they had that high hopes for him? He, I think when he first came up, he was a a blue chip prospect, which isn't more terminology you might want to use in the AC report. Um, and then it's just as many uh, well-regarded people who come to the roster find out, then you just sort of uh, become part of the show again. And it wasn't until he started doing them raps that he even was reconsidered as a, a legitimate player to continue using Ching Report terminology. And I even would say, as he became like a big merchandise draw and won the title on SmackDown, that he didn't become the 
franchise doing big business in their eyes until after he was moved to Raw and put over uh, Triple H at the next WrestleMania. Orton, on the other hand, was pretty much always destined for greatness, and I wonder if that's the parallel with uh, Reigns. It's t- I, I do feel like there seems to be something missing from him after he left the Shield, from everything I've seen. Like I don't know if he seems less confident, a little bit less cool, a little bit more prefabricated. I don't, uh, is, am, I, am I right to be sensing that, or is that just I haven't seen enough? I have the same sense. Um, even more than just my evaluation of him is if there was a guy who was already, as the plan stand now, is going to win the Royal Rumble and beat the heel who's wreaked more havoc and mayhem and misfortune than any heel they've pushed in a long time, shouldn't they at least have, like, a little bit of a buzz of, like, the hot new thing? Yeah. And I just see him as, like, a babyface who fans who support the babyface are like, oh, good job. Yeah, exactly. And, like, with with a guy like Ambrose or a guy like Brian, don't you feel like the crowds would get way, like, more behind that story of one of those guys like going up against Lesnar and and taking him down in an underdog fashion as opposed to Roman Reigns just being strong man who is strong. That just just based on the way it's been recently, it feels like that. Like you feel like you put a situation where Daniel Bryan comes back and I and I hate to be like such a broken record on this, but seriously. <laughs> yeah and like you, like Daniel Bryan comes back and suddenly he's face to face with Brock Lesnar. I think the crowd's going crazy for that. And you do it with Roman Reigns, and I think the crowd would be into that. But I don't think there would be the same degree of emotion. I could be wrong, though. If we did not know the lay of the land and like the what it means to be Daniel Bryan and what it means to be Roman Reigns in their eyes, the natural story for WrestleMania, I think, if you found analogous people from different times in history, would be Daniel Bryan returns from a terrible injury to get the title shot at the belt he never lost. And um, and Ambrose is another another thing altogether. I thought what told me that we're probably in for some interesting shenanigans in the next few months is when uh, this week's Observer Newsletter by San Jose, California-based journalist David Meltzer said um, that when they were putting Raw together, they figured that Seth Rollins would get baby face reaction in his home state, but they didn't think it would outweigh Reigns, who in their eyes is a hometown baby face in every town in the country. And did he like travel around a lot as a kid? (laughs) (laughs) I guess he didn't travel around a lot as a kid, right? Because his, uh, the shield was a paramilitary outfit from what I understood. And because his father was a wrestler. Oh, that's right. But, But I think, but I think pretty close to retired by the time Roman Reigns was, like school aged, mm, hmm. probably true. So it was more like a like Rosie would have had more of that experience. <laughs> yep, <laughs> the, the superhero in training. Yeah, <laughs> there's um they could do more to get Reigns like angry about stuff, emotionally invested in stuff, to where certainly the crowd might rally behind him more between now and January when he's going to take the next step. But I don't know. I watched that SummerSlam and uh, Reigns spears Randy Orton after a couple of really cool moves at the end of the match. And 
he gets the the biggest win of his career that they've been setting up and he starts like flailing his fists in jubilation and Michael Cole is like, Reigns, he did it, he did it, he did it, he did it. And then you and, and all the Los Angelesians mm. were just kind of like, good. A bad man did not win. A good man won. That's what we're here to see. Well, to be fair to Roman Reigns, the idea of overcoming Randy Orton would not be seen as anything really major to anyone. So mm-hmm. I think, like that's I mean yeah I mean just he was it, the first ever uh, WWE world heavyweight, world, champion. world heavyweight champion, yes. which is a weird <laughs> thing to say. Um, yeah, I I agree, and it, it's certainly um, certainly certainly okay. like Aaron Sorkin type <laughs> walk and talk as verbiage. <laughs> um, if he would have beaten Randy in June, it would have been just him getting his hand raised against another guy. But they built that up for two months and tried to make Orton seem like a a serious obstacle on the journey of Roman Reigns. But uh, then, you know, at the climax of those back-to-back Dean Ambrose matches when he's running on tables and losing his mind in a mad quest for vengeance, I know the the crowd seems to react with his every step on those tables. So, And it probably also was a weird move to not have Roman Reigns at all involved or even seem upset about the S.H.I.E.L.D. breakup. Uh, pretty much like a week after it happened. Like I think like for like maybe the first week, like the SmackDown afterwards and maybe the Raw afterwards, he was somewhat involved in uh in angles. But then like he immediately moved on to uh the uh the money in the bank picture, I believe. Mm-hmm. Although Re- Reigns did defend his honor at yeah. the uh at the eulogy ceremony. Yes, that's my theory is that Reigns watched the uh, Network Shield special, remembered everything that had just happened to him, and then decided the next week he should maybe do something about that. And it's like, oh yeah, I guess that was sort of an important chapter in my life. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, he's still wearing the clothes, so he's got to, got to mean something to him. Still got the theme song, in my opinion, and the entrance. <laughs> and the fist, and the the believing catchphrase. Really, everything except the memory of who was in the Shield... <laughs> and what each of those people did to him. <laughs> I think there is one more match we definitely have to talk about. We, do, we should talk about Brie versus Stephanie. 100%. It was a major, a major conflict. A huge, huge match. Stephanie's first match in, I think it was more than a decade. I'm not, I haven't fact-checked that. My loose impression is that her last match was against her father... Vincent Kennedy McMahon, right before her wedding to Triple H in October 2003, two months after you went to that summer school. So that would be, yes, just over a decade before the billionaire Baroness got back in the ring. She was just a princess then. Yeah, now she's a Baroness. But no, I thought the buildup was actually quite good. And the match uh, certainly was entertaining. And and obviously, more than a little heartbreaking. <laughs> Let's... um. Do you want to set the stage with uh, what must have been an emotional Bella family lunch ahead of time? Yes. I don't want you to tell any tales out of school. This is not, you know, a tabloid podcast. No, it's not that kind of show. Of course not. I can tell you that I did not recognize uh, that they were there until I was walking away and already pretty far. But I noticed that there was a family, uh, you know, a a well-heeled family. Looked like nice folks. And they were all wearing uh, Brie mode T-shirts, <laughs> and so that was my my first clue that uh, I was like, "That's interesting." And then, uh, yeah, I recognized the uh, the famous because uh, uh, the the Bella uh, uh, mother 
has uh, been a fairly regular presence on Total Divas. Certainly, uh, there's been some major things involving uh, her daughters and some other members of the Bella family as well. And yeah, they were there. They were there enjoying lunch uh, at a uh, a, a uh, undisclosed downtown Los Angeles restaurant. Spagos <laughs> and uh, for Albert, you know. But yeah, I, I did notice that that for as much of a lovely lunch as I'm sure they were having, that there was something inside of them that that looked vexed and maybe they knew what was going to happen maybe or maybe they feared that you know that the the worst could happen in this matchup <laughs> as it did i mean like if, if you're if you're the 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 bella mother just imagine you know that that weighing on your mind that maybe your your two daughters will uh will will erupt in conflict in front of the world and so, so, uh, what, so, that so, so wait, so let me just like confirm. Who, who was at the lunch exactly that you noticed? I was going to say, you don't have to name names. You can blind item it yeah. if you want to. But And we don't, in fact, have to name names by virtue of not knowing their first names. <laughs> but are, are we talking, we're talking Bella Mom for sure. Definitely. That's confirmed. Yes. We're talking J.J. Garcia Kalashe? <laughs> yeah. J.J. in the house? Uh, uh, yes, I believe so. And what about the Bella's seemingly not especially estranged father? Uh, I can't. I can't uh, speak to that definitively. What about As their? I, said, I was. I was like walking away. What about, <laughs> yeah, their significant others. You would have noticed them. Well, I will say that there were no. Uh, no, the Bellas themselves were not at the lunch. Okay, okay, okay so, yeah, got it, got it, got it, 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 got it. it, got it, got it. The extended family. Yeah, they were okay. not. Uh, yeah, they were probably already uh, in the arena. Uh, Bree was probably, you know, strategizing for her match, and Nikki was was probably secretly uh, planning her her deception. Uh-huh. Or maybe it was a heat of the moment thing. I don't know. I mean, we may never know. But on the bright side, hellacious encounter. Oh my goodness! Um, I thought the um, the aspiration for that match should have been the um, Stephanie McMahon Trish Stratus match. It's no way out 2001 before Trish was really much of a trained anything. And yet somehow through rehearsal and just uh, believing in yourself, they went out and had a, a very satisfying match. I think the difference between this and then is uh, then and now is Stephanie has become such a, a confident performer as far as projecting her character in the ring. She is great. Can we just agree? I don't know if that's a cool thing to admit that Stephanie is as, as a, a great heel. I think but, I, th- I think it's actually become a, a, a well regarded truth. And then uh, the Shakespearean fall at the end. Oh my goodness, boy! You know, but as we've you know discussed privately, Justin, not so shocking to people who have been following the Bellas since two thousand eight as closely as we have. We've so seen really themes point. before. We've seen cracks in their relationship dating back to uh, I believe there was a. Uh, <laughs> A situation with the the colognes and Miz and Morrison, where we saw some some cracks in the relationship, and also you know uh, Derek Bateman inadvertently I think caused a wedge between them during the the DB DD with the BTS. Trouble, 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 trouble. I'll say this: if there's a, a crack in the street. You can paint over it, but it's still there. And these fissures have accumulated over time. Personality-wise, you can see why a Brie, I presume, sided with the babyface colognes and Nikki's uh, 
sent her more to the seditious influence of Miz and Morrison. To say nothing of uh, their alliances during the uh, major multi-person tag match of Team Teddy versus Team Johnny, WrestleMania 28. Mm -hmm. Although I do think in that one, Bree was on the side of the heel team. Yeah, (laughs) I assume for the sake of cleaning up our narrative that that happened, but I think you're right. (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. In our defense, they are identical twins. Yes. Matt, uh, you want to jump in? (laughs) Uh, So, um, the Bellas are are real-life sisters? (laughs) Confirmed. Okay, that's all I needed to know. Is it not like a Lindsay Lohan parent trap thing they've been doing this whole time? (laughs) Just one person. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway. So let's get down to it, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How will this breakup be handled on Toll Diva Season 3? Because all it's the uh, what I would refer to as uh, the slap heard around the world from SummerSlam 2014 in that uh, Brie Stephanie match from Nikki to Brie is in the uh, commercials for the new season. So we know, we know they're heading turn. to that conflict. It is a quick turnaround as well for uh, Toll Divas. How, how can this be handled? How, how can they structure that narrative with as much as they're putting behind this feud and also dealing with the sort of meta reality of Total Divas. Fascinating. We know tomorrow is the hotly anticipated premiere. The girls are back up to more trouble than ever before, potentially. But since that was just three weeks ago in the first episode, you're right. It's probably going to have to be a slow build where they're through Buna Murray style storytelling will also have to leave those hints uh, along the way for eagle eyed watchers to pick up along the way. Is it, so did you just say something about eagle eyed cherry? Yeah. Yeah. Shave tonight. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be real interesting to see the, the singles match is um, not coming anytime soon. Yeah. Now that a three way divas championship match at the night, of all champions uh, has been booked. So they're going to keep us on the hook for that one. I, for one, cannot wait to see what hot moves those two do in the ring together. I wonder if they're going to like, try to like recreate Daniel Bryan versus John Cena. (laughs) Probably. I think there's going to be some of that. They're going to harken all the way back to uh, the original velocity match. Well, do you remember when we all do uh, Gorgeous George and the Girl wrestled Charles Robinson and they wrestled as their respective husbands, Randy Savage and Ric Flair? Yes. I would think it'll play out a lot like that. I mean, we already see, uh, you know, hints of both of uh, their respective partner styles, certainly in Brie by using Daniel Bryan's finisher and Nikki by using a power move finisher that involves an opponent being on uh, the deliverer's shoulders. Nikki's just plain powerful. She is. If they could do a definite, it's strange to say for genetic twins, but a David and Goliath style matchup. They're paralleling, I think, also the eight straight weeks that Daniel Bryan sold last year after SummerSlam without any kind of comeback. <laughs> They're that similar kind of build. Or when it comes, oh boy, look out. And Bree is not in the championship match either at Night of Champions, so she's yeah. Well, I mean, why would she get a championship shot? I guess in the in the meta narrative of the show. Oh, and one on this new contract. Yeah. Un momento, amigos. Tengo que agradecer a nuestro patrocinador para el programa de hoy. Eso es ESPNDeportes.com. 
asapn.deportes.com es el sitio web oficial del canal de ASAPN y está trayendo el líder mundial de la World Wide Web. El sitio está repleto de funciones para los verdaderos fanáticos de los deportes. Fútbol, béisbol, noticias, puntajes, recapitulaciones de juegos, estadísticas, listas de equipos, fantasía y pesos de los jugadores. Use el código de oferta CHAPS para una prueba gratuita www.espndeportes.com es darara, darara, punto com. Anything else in the WW Entertainment anyone wants to talk about before I pretend to interview Albert about Battle of Los Angeles to the best of my ability? I think I made a mental note to actually look at any results of PWG before we talked about it to like know who wrestled and what happened. A bunch of names you probably wouldn't recognize. Not not because they're not famous, but because you don't pay attention <laughs> to this world. <laughs> I know uh, Rick O'Shea. I think was involved. He, maybe he was more than involved. He was actually uh, crowned the, not literally the champion of the uh, the three night Battle of Los Angeles tournament. Which, in my mind, puts him, uh, you know, right at the top of the list of contenders to Kyle O'Reilly's PWG World Championship. You have to figure. And uh, AJ Styles—that's probably a name you know. Mm-hmm. You know his uh, his history, and you, you would probably be most excited that Brian Myers, the former Kurt Hawkins, was in attendance. Hawkins, as well as um, slave name Evan Bourne, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, the former Matt Seidel. You know, that's kind of an awkward thing, right? Because it's like, you know, he was known as Matt Seidel for years, and he had something of a following as that name. And then he became Evan Bourne. And then, like, I think it's it's considered by, I guess, by some, like, really, like, douchey to keep calling someone their old name, right? Like, in, <laughs> like, like some people get really upset with that. Correct me if I'm wrong. Matt, Justin? Wouldn't. But then when they go back to that name, <laughs> it's like, well, like, if, I, if someone kept calling him Evan Bourne, that would be dumb, right? It's just yeah, mm-hmm. it's a real mindset minefield to walk through. Mm-hmm. But yes, uh, he was there. He uh, he definitely wrestled. Um, he looked great. He has a beard now. So that's exciting. Who else is uh, facial hair wise? What's changed? Hawkins, Hawkins, uh, clean shaven. Okay. He still had the uh, the cane gimmick. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah so that's exciting. <laughs> Which at this point we may not know is just. Could be something he needs to get around. Well, it doesn't. I mean, he doesn't appear to be because he, you know, he appears to be quite mobile in his actual matches. Oh, good. Point. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was very exciting. Uh, what, what about just seeing the best in the world, AJ Styles, live and in person? AJ Styles uh, did great. You know, he uh, he really has. Uh, I guess it started in TNA, but you know, he kind of has overhauled his look a little bit. You know, he's got the the long tights and the the shaggy hair, and he. You know, facial hair as well, and he, you know, not quite the clean-shaven baby face that we know for all these years. Definitely has more of an edge, um, as befits his status as a member of the Bullet Club, which is something <laughs> I I peripherally understand. <laughs> <laughs> and probably Justin uh, knows much more than I do. And Christopher Daniels and Kazarian were both there. Frankie Kazarian, if you ask me. So a lot of lot of lot of stars. And Kenny Omega is uh, an exciting wrestler he's wrestles mainly in japan but he's uh, always very fun to watch so it was a great time former tna superstar joey ryan and his lady friend candace Lorray, fellow they're the they're the pwg tag team champions i don't know matt mm-hmm. what do you think do you think this is a thing that happened and i went through or not? <laughs> well 
I, I, I Are you what, a truther? What, I mean, yes, but what I, what I really like when I see this lineup, I really want to hear about like the matches in the sense of like what were like the standouts because you know all these matches have the potential to be like amazing. Well, not all of them, but a lot of them do. And uh, but a lot of times you like these tournaments, they're kind of rushed for time. I think with three days, that probably wouldn't have been a problem. But like, what Some were the were, yeah, a little shorter maybe? And then the third third night was was jam packed. It was eleven matches, and as well as an emotional farewell to Willie Mack. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I remember. Let's see. Uh, you know, I, both of Zach Sabre Jr.'s matches were a lot of fun. He had a a really good one that got a good time with Kyle O'Reilly. I know Kyle. O'Reilly is one of Matt's favorites. I am and, a big I am a big KOR fan. And I, I believe that he should be getting the uh, the push that his former partner Adam Cole ended up getting in the uh, indies in general. But it seems like he is now doing so. So no complaints. And there's a fun chant that's developed in PWG where I don't know if you guys have the commercials for O'Reilly Auto Parts. I don't know if that's a national chain or not. I think it is. Or it's, 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 it sounds familiar. And there's their commercials or go, oh, oh, O'Reilly, auto parts. And people chant that during Kyle O'Reilly matches. Which, uh, Just the O'Reilly or the, the auto parts part too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is fun. That's kind of kind of fun I enjoy from these PWG shows. And there was uh, – this is something that Justin would enjoy. Uh, on the second night, there was a match between ACH, who uh, I believe Matt is familiar with through his work in Ring of Honor. Correct me yep. if I'm wrong. A great performer. Uh, against against Kenny Omega, and I would say there was a guy all three nights who were who wore no shirt, and he wore like a stone cold uh, Steve Austin vest and jeans. And on the first night, uh, as I was making friends with the strangers around me, I might have said something to the effect of, uh, "Look at that dork in the stone cold Steve Austin <laughs> vest." Mean. And then on the second night, in the well, I don't think I said that exactly. Uh-huh. I said, "Look at." I was like, "I think I said I don't know about that guy in Stone Cold Steve Austin vest." Um, just because, like, it was you know, it, it seemed out of place for a uh, a 2014 indie show to which Stone Cold Steve Austin would have only a, a tangential connection. At that <laughs> it was probably really what well, I wasn't necessarily a reflection of him or anything, but just you know, just the uh, it just seemed out like a out of place decision. But magically, the second night um, during this ACH Kenny Omega match. Now, this is going to be big-time spoilers for the PWG Battle of Los Angeles Night 2. So if you're avoiding that, turn down your, uh, your podcast machines. Spoiler warning threat level is elevated at this point in time. Matt, do you mind if I give you spoilers? Indeed, I do not. Okay. And so Kenny Omega spotted this guy with the Stone Cold Steve Austin vest. And he was like, uh, hey, give me your vest. And like, he, he took the vest from the guy. Well, he was handed the vest. The guy was very excited to be involved. And he kind of, like, you know, was like looking at the vest and teasing like he was going to put it on. But instead, he, as the de facto heel in the match, because in a lot of these PWG matches, it kind of changes from, from match to match. Who's the heel and who's the face? Uh, did, like, some dastardly heel actions, like uh, choking ACH with it and that kind of thing. And then, uh, you know, ACH started making his comeback. And then he, uh, he took the vest, and the fans were chanting, put it on. And he did. He acquiesced to their demands. And then he, uh, he you know acted as if he had undergone a physical transformation and did all of uh, Stone Cold's finish, uh, signature spots flawlessly, uh, you know, stomping a mud hole in the corner, um, a Fez press with punches, and, like, got on the turnbuckles and someone ha- handed him a beer. Uh, it was hilarious. And then, and then like, like some brilliant uh, improv performers 
Uh, they even did like a like a you know him going for the stunner and then you know reversing it off the ropes and then Ken- Kenny Omega <laughs> going for a rock bottom and then ACH reversing that and successfully hitting the stunner and uh, it was uh, it was very entertaining. It was definitely a memorable uh, encounter and that was a lot of fun. Sounds like a love letter to this business. <laughs> it really was. And, uh, yeah, that was great. And then also on the third night, there was also a very memorable uh, encounter in a, a 10-man tag where uh, I don't know if you've seen uh, some, you know, videos in promotions uh, such as the Chikara promotion uh, based out of Philadelphia where they have, like, a slow-motion sequence in matches. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but uh, it happened in this match as well. For, and for quite a while. And the fans were, were chanting in slow motion, and, uh, and it was great, and it was a lot of fun. But you have to see it for yourself. I know, I, I can only imagine, I know that Brad Maddox did get a kick out of it, because he tweeted about it, and it was uh, very memorable. Um, a, lot of, a lot of fun shenanigans, but also a lot of intense, uh, intense wrestling action, and, you know, what we all look for in these encounters, uh, bone-rattling slams. <laughs> <laughs> Another one? One after another. <laughs> there were so many bone rattling slams uh, throughout the uh, show. They just and some and some very devastating holds. What about um, some finesse filled maneuvers? Yeah, especially uh, you know Zack Saber Jr. wrestling that European style. I mean, the amount of maneuvers per capita in his <laughs> matches. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, I think the industry term is maneuver rate. Well, if you watch a uh, Michael Elgin match, you're bound to see some strikes. Oh my God. Michael Elgin, you know, he had an encounter with, uh, Tommaso Ciampa, one of Justin's favorites. <laughs> it, it really was a hard hitting affair. And, uh, they, did they strike uh, each other? There were some strikes, but there were some, some real bone rattling slams in that one. Uh, uh-huh. But yeah, honorary citizenship in Slam City. <laughs> yeah, well, they're all uh, uh, co- work at a coffee shop, or <laughs> so. Did, did they have to write uh, Del Rio out of the Slam City storylines? Yeah, I think it was. He's a major he was... part of, uh, I think that uh, of those of those plot lines. So, oh, wait, 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 Albert, Albert, let me ask you something. Did Alberto Del Rio in Slam City was he the purveyor of something? a delicious treat known as Salsa Del Rio? I think he actually, I think his job was that he worked at a coffee shop, and it's possible that coffee shop sold snacks and treats, and it's possible that Salsa was among them. I'd say unlikely. I, wait, I <laughs> want to make clear that this is not racist. Albert, no. Well, Albert once got me a, uh, a jar of Salsa because he knows that I am a connoisseur of Salsas. Oh, my God. We could <laughs> no, have a Salsa podcast, Top 10 Salsas. <laughs> known as Salsa Del Rio. That was the name of the salsa, and it was as I believe we were going to. It was our abortive effort to watch the all-time classic pay-per-view, Money in the Bank 2011. Yeah, so I ordered that pay-per-view, and the fucking uh, feed didn't work, and so we got a refund for it. If only yeah. the WWE Network existed back then. It's like, what is this? Is, is this in your house? Beware of dog! Come on, <laughs> <people>. <laughs> like this is 2011. Aren't we behind this? All natural desert pepper salsa del Rio. Check it out. Oh, you still have a jar? No, I just I googled it. I'm glad it's still being manufactured. <laughs> Me too. But yeah, no, I, Bolo I, was great. Can I can I sum it up by saying Bolo was well, great? Yeah, 
I, I, I do want to watch I, it by the DVDs. I, I I had a great time. Who are who are the stars of the tournament? Like in terms of match quality, who are the who are the guys that were putting out the the hot the hot the hot moves and the and the bone rattling slams and the. I would say uh, obviously Ricochet. You know he's he's an amazing performer. Huh. Um, Kenny Omega was great. All of his matches were good. ACH, you know, had that he was limiting in the first round, but you know that memorable encounter. And Johnny Gargano, he uh, he had a lot of matches. He's he's, he's a good wrestler. He's a good he, hand. He's a good he seems like hand. someone that 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 Matt would also enjoy. I have seen him live one time. Was it he, at an Evolve wrestling show? It was uh, Dragon Gate USA, so the sister company, and it was uh, it was excellent. It was an excellent match against Shingo. So that sounds good. Uh, Trevor Lee, I don't know if you guys know him. He's a uh, He's something of a newer name on the scene, but he ha- made it all the way to the semifinals, and he upset uh, Matt Strand, Michael Elgin, in the quarterfinals, and he uh, he showed a lot of babyface fire. I posted a picture of him wrestling Cedric Alexander with me and Brad Maddox in the background, not only in the front row, but um, you know there's uh, a tendency in these shows, Justin. Because uh, you're you're so close to the ring that like when people are gonna do dives or like you know do spots you know outside of the ring you kind of have to get out of the way and he I, I I noticed this I can't say necessarily why but I did notice that whenever they came towards his section he would wait until like the absolute last second to move almost <laughs> deliberately to ensure that he would be on camera clearly <laughs> I don't know if that was intentional or not but it was something I noticed I this Brad Maddox is an an idiosyncratic character. <laughs> he fascinates He's a fascinating me. Fascinating man. Do you, you see his acting exercises when he was like buried he under the he earth? He was in a cave. Ended it by with the Shakespearean flourish of saying like, "Ah, but the whole world's a stage, don't you see?" That was something. I, boy. And what what's on the horizon? Speaking of Alberto Del Patron, is there any chance you may reconnect with with this great man, this Essence uh, de la Excelencia? Well, I am attending a, uh, a taping of Lucha Underground, and which which she will have will not she will not be at yeah, and, and which <laughs> Alberto Del Rio will, will not be at unless <laughs> a deal has been struck <laughs> between now and tomorrow. Um, so that's exciting. Justin, uh, Justin Morrison, one of Justin's favorites. Heck yeah! Justin, um, thinks, that, Justin thinks that now that Alberto Real is out of WWE, he just uh, he's just a general. He's generally signed a contract to Lucha in general, mm-hmm. and anything that has that word attached to it. Well, to be fair, AAA is uh, involved at least uh, in a co-promotional basis on Lucha. And I'm not sure exactly how it works, and that is the group that uh, Alberto El Patron is. Uh, is operating under, but I believe the contracts are, are, are different. They're not, but wouldn't that be? I mean, I think in in my opinion, he'd be a huge get for that organization. <laughs> I believe- You're talking about uh, an American show that's bringing lucha libre to the masses, like a, a bridge to both of those audiences. In my opinion, Alberto Del Rio would be the perfect candidate. He's 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 inter- he's. Uh, immediately more interesting than he's ever been right now, just because of that whole situation. He's a huge baby face. In fact, Albert made a great joke when he said uh, something, sorry to misquote you if I do, but the gist is you said that the incident with this social media figure 
who I won't even deign to acknowledge by name because I don't remember it, said it was an amazing face turn and you were not referring to the slap itself. (laughs) And I thought about that for like two and a half hours and then I said, face turn, slap, I get it. (laughs) And uh, Justin, I think you described how that would have a more effective face turn than his actual face turn in 2013, where you described his character as a Mexican Mitt Romney, which stuck with me for a while. I thought that was... That was that. So good job to both of us. Yeah, we really got it done. Although now thinking of bone crunching slam city, bone rattling slams. That is in a bone rattling slam city. What if this whole thing was a misunderstanding? Like he was storyboarding the new episode of Slam City and was like, cleaning dishes. That's Del Rio's job. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then through a a, a terrible tragic game of telephone, (laughs) we'll get a fallout. Granted, it would still be pretty racially charged to give him that job, but... Oh, so, so wait, I want to be clear on this. The guy who said that to him worked in catering? Is that the situation? Like Worked in uh, in social media, which is, I think, an added element to to Alberto Del Rio endearing himself to a lot of the hardcore <laughs> fans due to uh, the, I guess, distaste some have for the amount that WWE pushes social media on their programming. So I think it's like an extra delightful twist. Isn't it just really weird that like any like employee in WWE would like talk shit to one of the wrestlers? Like, because you'd think they would be like the VIPs in the company as far as like everyone else kind of kissing their ass a little bit. But no, that's really strange to me. I think that's part of the psychology of the story. At least the version we get is that this guy is a real so-and-so because the company takes so much pride in their successful Twitter following that this guy must be like such a, a a beloved figure there among the corporate types for getting them trending and such. He allegedly did not take it seriously and only smirked and then he got uh he got the old five on one. <laughs> well speaking of backstage drama, before we sign off we have to talk a little bit more about the impending Cold Diva season three. Please because we're excited back, about it. Back, back. You know, we've been dancing around it all day, and it has been all day. (laughs) You know, but we've got a lot of stuff. We've got Rosa Mendes joining the cast. A seismic change already. Justin, what are you most excited for this season? It's going to be interesting. It's going to be, I mean, we we definitely have the Funkadactyl split already. You described it as a real darkest timeline, right? So many long-established friendships are crumbling like uh, the, the... Nation state of Iraq in 2003. <laughs> it's a lot like that. Um, there, this is the season we destabilized the region on Total Divas, uh, right? For those of you who are not friends with Justin on Facebook or follow him on Twitter, he is very, very, very intent on making as many Iraq and ISIS jokes as possible. And I think some fantasy football leagues are not letting him do that. Maybe I'd just like to get one person to recognize it, to be like, hey, are you actually joining ISIS? No. No, I'm not. And so I'll just keep going back to that well until someone pays attention. Maybe you might be listening to the Bob Dylan song, ISIS, knowing how big of a fan you are. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, sorry. We're, oh, uh, right. Total Divas destabilizing the region. Um, so what do we think about Rosa Mendes' impact? Game changer, I'd say. We fought, I don't know if you've watched the preview footage released so far, but we're they're definitely setting up an interesting relationship between her and Natty. The eternally put upon Natalie Neidhart. 
it seems like, you know, she, you know, you know, in my opinion, they're two of the most veteran divas in the locker room. Long standing. But I think their careers have gone in some different directions in that uh, Natty's career has gone in a direction where she's at least on TV <laughs> regularly <laughs> while Rosa Mendez has uh, gone very long periods where she hasn't been around at all and never had a real defined role, I'd say. I, there's similarities and differences. They both managed tag team champions. Sure, who absolutely. Were related to each other. Or no, I guess well, TJ yeah. is not. But now he's related by marriage after yes. the fact. Uh, and at the other time, Natalia, stable long term relationship. Rosa Mendez, a strange and unfortunate situation. I think in the preview, she's like, I want to get married. Like, I want a man that's like a big. Like, you know, there's not a lot of single total divas, as we know. Summer Rae added a huge element in season two. You know, mm-hmm. we got a glimpse into her personal life. We saw we saw a very memorable, potentially awkward date uh, with with uh, the artist uh, professionally known as Fandango. During which it has been alleged that he was packing a little something <laughs> something. <laughs> or was that even him, or was that just duplicitous editing? <laughs> What did we eventually find out was packing a little something? Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah. So. Wait, 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 wait. What was the something something? His his, his penis. His penis? Okay. It was mm-hmm. <laughs> just making sure. <laughs> it was absolutely his penis. <laughs> well, it'd be weird. It, let's be. Let's admit it'd be strange if he was not packing his penis when he went somewhere. <laughs> right. Well, you mind. know, as as King Missile once saying about they 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 talked about a detachable penis. Yeah. You guys know that song, right? Made famous uh, by Beavis and Butthead, right? Yeah, I very much know the song, but it would be interesting if Fandango had that and we all didn't know about it already. You know, this is a man with the nickname Dirty, who in a former life was known to profess that things were getting weird. It would fit right in. Van Driver. Um, what else can we say about the TDs? It's gonna be the yeah, it's gonna be an interesting season. Like I said, you know, with the, it's, it's gonna be dark. I think this is like the Empire Strikes Back <laughs> of the Total Divas <laughs> franchise. Like I think you know, like maybe by season four, you know, I think it might maybe the season will like uh, crescendo with the breakup, and then maybe yeah. season four we'll get like that third act of everyone coming back together. Like, wouldn't that be just like an amazing? Uh, an amazing narrative structure for the series because Jojo appearing as a Jedi spirit. Well, you know, Jojo has been resurfacing. I don't know if you know this as a, uh, as a non-regular NXT viewer, <laughs> not my NXT. <laughs> yeah. She, she's been, uh, last two weeks appearing, which means, I don't know, maybe it happened three months ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> last two weeks, she's been, uh, on screen as a ring announcer, the Jojo Offerman. So she's returning. So they're already setting up, you know, the, uh, mm-hmm. the grand her long climb back to the top. WrestleMania should end with Brie versus Nikki with Brie winning and then her and Nikki reuniting in order yeah. to make up for the fact that she wasn't allowed to come out during last year's <laughs> WrestleMania ending celebration. And Daniel Bryan won't be allowed out for that one either. And yeah, did we was that really that she wasn't allowed? I mean, I guess that must have been the case. Yeah, yeah, Daniel Bryan said that they told her not to go out. He said it in an interview and they said mm-hmm. that neither of them really were told why. And instead it was like his sister his sister and niece, mm-hmm. yeah. And then also, like, you could think, oh, well, maybe they just, for a reason, don't want to connect him to her storylines. Right, right, exactly. But then, but like, are... the next day. Yeah. yeah. 
And we already had a little bit. Yeah, (laughs) that's all they did um, with him until he got injured. Um, Yeah, that is that's a a, a fuddling situation. But yeah, can I ask you, Albert? Now you you've attended the last two Summer Slams. This has been long established. Who got you more psyched, jacked, pumped, and ready to roll for the show? Uh, Was it Hulk Hogan's? coming out and telling you to buy the WWE <laughs> Network? Or was it Josanne Josanne Offerman's <laughs> rendition of the National Anthem? Uh, Joe, Joe was great. I will say about the Hulk Hogan, I mean, I, I had pretty good seats. I don't want to brag. But I also was, like, uh, facing the what was formerly known as the Titantron. Like, I couldn't actually, like, I was, like, right uh, square up against it. Um, so I did not see Hulk Hogan at all because he never went past uh, that stage area. So it was a uh, just a disembodied voice to the people in my section. So what, I don't even know if he was actually there. A I, disembodied I voice, was. a disembodied voice telling you to buy the WWE Network for nine ninety nine, even though you were probably already watching on the WWE Network. But I'm sure that's been discussed. But anyway, or I guess in attendance, or yes. maybe you know you're on the fence about renewing, or or Matt, how about this? You were over at a friend's house. Your friend's a subscriber. You were invited over. You're like, what's this all about? You know, I, I like wrestling. Can I commit to that? You know, I'm just here to hang out and have a great time with my buddy, maybe eat some pizza, you know, drink a couple sodas. And then, you know, you see, uh, in my opinion, one of the most iconic WWE superstars of all time. And one, of the most, uh, one, one of the most iconic people in the world. He's personally opinion. delivering that message to you. And you're like, all this pro-graps action for nine ninety nine. I think that, <laughs> that is why that evangelization was necessary. And that's where I think the true value came in. He should have mentioned all the Clash of Champions in that and talked about how he appeared on several of them. Yeah, and you know, uh, all those nitros that are up there now. Yeah. He was a big part of a lot of those early nitros, I feel. Probably the biggest. <laughs> Albert, final Total Divas question, and it's the one I ask you before literally every episode. Is this the year that John Cena pops the question to Nikki Bella? You know, uh, I think I, I, I think that drama will definitely be a, a major storyline continuing. Uh, you know, I think, I think <laughs> Bold. he's trying to, uh, you know, maybe like feel things out like, like compromise. Like, what about marriage, no kids? I know that's something that's going to come up during the season because it was in the preview that I watched. <laughs> and, you know, that's a big decision for her to, uh, to wrestle with. And I also know that I think Eva Marie doing, um, like, having a real wedding that her, uh, her family can attend, including her uh, outraged father, who delivered the famous line, flat no. Uh, how salacious were those wedding invitation <laughs> pictures so you saw that as well okay my dvr recorded a five minute <laughs> yeah. preview on the e-net okay yeah. I, I, as did mine that's what i'm basing all of my insider info on <laughs> and yes you've uh, been on the set uh, uh, I, I could i mean i very well could have been for that lunch pre-summer slam <laughs> oh um we'll see your pixelated face cause i did not sign a waiver. No, no 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 um i've got my own yeah separate Going but yes, uh, yes, they they I, I guess quasi like engagement photos or something. Yes, with them, <laughs> them both, Eva Marie and uh, her her husband Jonathan in underwear. 
<laughs> just send it out to everyone on the list, I guess. And they had a- they had a justification for it. They were like, "Hey, we're both very into exercise. <laughs> we want to we want to remember this." Mm-hmm. Some people get those uh, engagement uh, spreads, you know. Oh, we like camping. Let's go <laughs> right out there. And but they're both, you know, very much into a high heart rate, muscle definition. Guys, I gotta thank you both so much for spending this time. And I apologize. I apologize for uh, not having much to say for some of those topics. It is what it is. But I, uh, I do, I do regret that I could not add more on. Anything involving lady wrestlers. Well, I think one of the subtextual conceits of the show in its entire duration has been your level of interest in the product sort of reflects the things that have been happening because you've shown your willingness to completely opt out when you're less than satisfied. That is that is true. While for guys like me and Justin, something like a, a Bella Twin feud... Is the exact yeah. thing that's going to engage us more than ever. One hundred percent correct. One hundred percent correct. In that vein, I guess we owe the people. We brainstormed the angle f- to carry us through the often dire fall to turn around the uh, babyface career of Dave Batista. You pitched it. I loved it. We want Batista not just coming back as a babyface, but Batista coming back. Uh, Jacob Goodnight Kane style <laughs> as the actual Drax the Destroyer to Monday Night Raw. Zeus, the, the Zeus first... style. It's... Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there's precedent. There's historical precedent. Now, I heard on the podcast with Jericho that it was like four hours of makeup, but this is only one day a week. Yeah. And he, he doesn't necessarily have to do every TV. No. I mean, I think I think Raw and maybe like a, maybe a go-home SmackDown. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I think I think that needs to happen. I think we had some some more fantasy casting as to how we could round out this this team. We had a stable to oppose the authority, right? We, we did. The Guardians of the WWE Universe. We're talking um uh Torito changing um species <laughs> yeah. from bull to a raccoon. Not that difficult, I don't think. I mean, yeah. just a brief wardrobe change. <laughs> And um, who was – oh, you had a Stardust Lord, Stardust right? Stardust Lord. I thought as far as like underdog ladies' man wisecrackers who are often put upon, the Dolph Ziggler. Yeah, well, it does make more uh, sense, I think, in the personality-wise. Mm-hmm. So, but do you have like a name that somehow we can – Oh, I didn't get that. <laughs> you can't top Stardust Lord. really Stardust Lord, that was all it was based on. <laughs> no other justification for it. Especially in his current character, Stardust. Like, I, I, in my opinion, the current Star, uh, Stardust Cody Rhodes character is kind of a kind of a weird ball. He should be the oddball <laughs> festival headliner, in my opinion. <laughs> well, good, good. Glad that I'm off the hook. <laughs> yeah. He, although the cosmic key, I would not be. There's a cosmic cube in uh, Marvel, right? Yeah, or is that just absolutely? Well, now it's called the Tesseract in the Marvel films. But yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, so some overlap there. He may be one of those. Uh, Inhuman type uh, alien guys, a scroll. Mm. Goldust had showed scroll tendencies and his ability to embody lots of different uh, superstars in 1998. <laughs> yes. Um, who, who are the rest of them? Well, you're I you're know. missing out the, on the best pun. I'm saving for the winner. For the, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and go, AJ, of course, comic book aficionado yeah. would have to be. Good AJ. I think that works. 
Uh-huh. And then you're the guest. I'm going to let you tell the people. Oh, but Justin, it's your, it's your joke. You have to. <laughs> you have to. I don't want to take your spot. Merchandising phenomenon in the making. A guy you'd be comfortable with only saying three words for the rest <laughs> of his career. We're talking about the biggest and best match possible. The fifth guardian of the WWE universe, the Groot Kali. Ah, so Everyone up, I, ah, so glad we filmed this in front of the live <laughs> yeah. audience, just basking in it right now. What more needs to be said? Matt, did you even see Guardians or were you too? Do you have any idea of what we're talking about? Matt was too busy at Linklater's boyhood, <laughs> am I right? Is that a problem if I was? Um, uh, I didn't actually. I didn't see Guardians of the Galaxy. I saw. That Planet of the Apes movie, that wasn't terrible. Oh, with the pro wrestling gorilla? Yeah. <laughs> but Boyhood, Boyhood was an incredibly good movie. Now, if you had to match up the main character yeah. of Boyhood. With Cast Boyhood. Movie, with All right. like, like, so you're, sorry, you're, saying which, you're saying which wrestling character would I like to see grow from small boy <laughs> into wrestling champion? Is it, yeah. is it Rey Mysterio's son, Dominic? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have to start with a, a, someone because that we, we saw. Because we kind of did, right? Because, yeah, he was. Yeah, so, so we, we have to start with someone we saw as a child. Right, we saw him, obviously, in the Eddie Guerrero angle, but then also uh, in the CM Punk feud. <laughs> that was years later. So that's about, sort of a boyhood-esque parallel. What about Tyler Fullington? Uh, mm. We've seen um, Noel Foley. Change a lot over the years. Yeah, but but Tyler Fullington, you know, he was he was a heel when he was a kid. That's, <laughs> That's well, that was a, a really tapped into the the mindset of the '90s when people hated those annoying kids. <laughs> like, what is the worst thing right now? <laughs> Teachers, yes. Tax people, yes. Dentists, ugh. Annoying kids, biggest heel possible. Um. Who would be the Ethan Hawke of WWE or not wrestling? John Cena. I mean, we know that he's not comfortable with the role of father. I feel like Dean Ambrose would be the closest thing. <laughs> like, uh, like right now, Dean Ambrose is is Reality Bites era Ethan Hawke. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And at, at some point, he's going to be uh, like responsible father. Uh, I assume that he's a responsible father in Boyhood. Well, see, I, well, I don't want to spoil things then. Um, but. Well, I saw a trailer, and he seemed, you know... I saw a trailer while I was seeing the movie Obvious Child. I don't know if you guys saw that. All I can say is I... That was an independent film I saw. Matt and I tried to go see Obvious Child. He wasn't feeling it. We went to an amusement park instead, where he literally uttered the sentence to me, cutting off mid-sentence, which was going to be... It had the cadence of a joke. And he stopped me and said, Don't! No! This isn't a podcast, Justin. (laughs) Wow. So you can see, I live my whole life like I'm on a podcast. Yeah, this is just you with the volume turned up. Depend- <laughs> depending on how how much you have the volume turned up on my <laughs> Skype on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I give it to the old plus seventy five percent because I'm the host. Mm-hmm. I got a tower over you. So next year, next year, SummerSlam is going to be in my backyard. Literally, literally, <laughs> I'm not going to fit that many people in there, but it's going to be a real intimate kind of thing. Um, Should we fly out, Justin? You don't need to fly. You can drive or whatever. Should we go there? Should we- can we make this plan right now to keep my SummerSlam streak alive? I, th- you know, I, that's not a half flimsy idea. I recommend it. I don't know why you're asking Justin when you're coming to stay with me, but, but, but sh- I think you should. Do have they announced a venue, or just said it's going to be in the New, New York, York, New Jersey area? I feel like the fact that they're saying New Jersey at all 
indicates that it will be in New Jersey. It is not Mr. Madison Square Garden. Yeah, so people say either Barclays or uh, or the Izod Center or whatever it's oh, called. Barclays really is close to you. Barclays is one subway stop away from me. Please, nobody come to my house. Um, so you're saying SummerSlam 2015 pre-party. The pre-party <laughs> is the biggest party of the summer. is going to be at Matt's apartment <laughs> roughly a year from now. He's supplying the Salsa Del Rio. Because by that point, you know, they might have, you know, repaired the relationship. Who knows what might happen by then. That's true. Had we said, were we going to um, see if we can book the Supper Club to do a live taping of this show? Can you no, do no, that, no, Matt? No, can I'm, you put down a deposit? I'm, looking, yeah, I'm thinking of no. Starball Center. Whoa, 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 I'm doing a live taping of List Them and Learn. You, oh, that's you right. Deal this with is a great nice segue into, into the plug segment. Uh, mm-hmm. we just go into it right now? Should we roll into the plug? Let it go. All right, Matt, what are your plugs? Okay, uh, my plugs are that in a couple of weeks, Albert and Justin have both committed to being on List and Learn and sneak preview top 10 sitcoms of the 2000s. So we're going to have 10 different things to talk about. So imagine how overly long and scattered that podcast will be. It'll be another (laughs) two-parter. Okay, good. There's a maximum 30 possible comedy shows we could talk yeah. about now granted you and one other person talked about hour-long dramas yes. doesn't that math exactly match up right yeah exactly <laughs> also also i feel i feel i feel like i'm really i'm gonna do this show with uh tommy del whatever the hell i'll listen back to this if remember to find out what his <laughs> oh, name yeah, was salvio the salvio thank you and uh whatever your pittsburgh guy's name is gonna be and Albert, hey, Albert, yeah. you can come up with someone too if you want. I'm going to do this. It is going to happen. British guy. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody hell to all of you, wankers. Brilliant. <laughs> so that's happening. Uh, so I'm done with my plugs. Um, I will. Uh, okay, I wasn't going to put you on the spot by asking for plugs from your two other guests, but last year you shook the very foundation of this show with the hottest parody song of the summer last year, which was All the Pringle Ladies, and I know you've got one worked up right now, the parody song of the summer 2014. Let us have it. Um, uh, mm, uh... Standard uh, warm-up. <laughs> Albert, 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 wait, 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 Albert, do your plugs and then come back to me. Oh, All right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug Matt's uh, Twitter feed. <laughs> I believe it's Mayor MGF. Uh-huh. So are you, is that, are those your initials, MGF? So we've got uh, JMS no, yeah, and yes, an MGF. Yes, yes, MGF mm-hmm. are my initials. Okay. You, do you think you're the most famous MGF? There's that other Mark Feuerstein. Oh yeah, he could be a G. He could be a G. Mark. Um, I'll plug Mark that. Mark Feuerstein I'll... is 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 delectable, but I don't like him. He's delectable, but you don't like him. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, not not a Royal Pain fan. He's objectively delectable, but I subjectively mm. do not like him. Michael Francis Foley is not in competition for MGF, but it seems like can't get much closer than that initial wise. No, no, you can't. It's it's impossible to be closer. And uh, I will also plug 
Do you have any big casting announcements for Superman versus Batman? Well, you know, I think what we should uh, all be looking forward to is casting announcements for uh, some new Marvel pictures. We've got Doctor Strange. People are, it's been heating up. You know, Joaquin Phoenix has, has emerged as the primary contender, but Marvel themselves haven't confirmed. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens. We've got a director. but Keep refreshing that site. I got my song ready. Second conflict. Okay. Uh, all right. You cut meat like delis cut meat. We could eat heroes watching the Super Bowl. That's all I got so far. Is it bad that I do not know what song that is? Justin, do you know it? I We Can Be Heroes? Yes, by David Bowie. Oh, okay. I, so it's, it's, it's a, a classic hit. The yeah. same amount of time has probably passed between Single Ladies and Last Year as at least the Wallflowers Godzilla cover of that song <laughs> had at the show. Right? E- e- no. Oh. Mm-hmm. Matt, how's that Dr. Mario screenplay coming? Uh, you see, I gotta, I gotta write, a, you know, I, I gotta write my way out of this corner where, um, where Dr. Wario is actually trying to multiply the viruses. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a corner where you had one space unaccounted for already covered <laughs> up by other Mario medicines. That's what I thought you were going for, yeah. <laughs> That's, I'm, yeah. Uh, well, you know, finish your thought because – yeah, finish it. I can't even classify it as a thought. Well, I, while I may not have had a hot parody song, I will plug my upcoming parody album where I changed the word woman in the title of songs. Oh! Of right? This is big. Yeah, so – Here's some of the track listings. Uh, some, of, some of them created... Can you restate the premise for us? So, songs with the word woman in the title, or perhaps just in the chorus, and I mm. changed the word woman to Wolfman. And um, I came up with some of these, but I did get help from friends. Mm. Uh, I got by with a little help from my friends. So, um, we, we, we open with, boy, you'll be a Wolfman soon. Mm. Um, you know, uh, really a, um, a powerful song, No Wolfman, No Scream. Uh, he's always a wolf man. He's always a wolf man to me. Um, Margarita Wolf. You know, some people say that there's a wolf man to blame, but I know. Do, 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 do. It's the mummy's fault. Um, when a man loves a wolf man, I'm every wolf man. Um, pretty wolf man. L.A. wolf man. Elderly wolf man behind the counter in a small town. Uh, so, look out for that one. What about a parody of uh, of Wolfmanizer by Britney Spears? <laughs> <laughs> See, a little help from my friends. Uh, great stuff. And as the Bob Dylan guy, I don't remember who contributed. Just like a Wolfman, Albert, but... Albert did. Oh, great, 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 great. She takes just like a Wolfman. Yes, she does. She makes love just like a Wolfman. Yes, she does. And she aches. Just like a wolf man, but she breaks just like a Frankenstein. Perpetuating that Frankenstein's monster is called Frankenstein <laughs> yes. is still funny, just so everyone knows. <laughs>